If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When I was a student at Morehouse College, all the way back in 2001, 9-11 happened. And in the weeks that followed, I said some public critiques of the American government and their response and the American government's reputation around the world. And I thought it was going to get me kicked out of Morehouse. And there's something about a crisis that causes people to stop critiquing their government. And I I want to beg to differ today, because right now, 6.6 million more people just filed for unemployment, nearly 17 million people in three weeks, and our government's response has been terrible. I want to unpack and explain it. also want to talk to you about something called jail churn, a new term that maybe you've never heard of, but I want to introduce it to you and tell you how it really impacts all of us. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The new unemployment numbers came out this morning, and nearly 7 million more Americans filed for unemployment just last week, pushing the total numbers of people who filed for unemployment in the past three weeks alone to at least 17 million people. And it's expected that millions more are going to lose their jobs, and millions more either have not filed yet because the systems are overwhelmed or because they don't believe they'll even qualify for unemployment. And the real numbers could be close to 40 to 50 million Americans that end up being out of work. And Congress is in recess. You probably knew they were in recess because you don't see them. They may tweet here and there. But the United States is the epicenter of a global pandemic. Tens of millions of people have no income. They've lost their health insurance. Hospitals and ICUs around the country are overwhelmed. And the United States government passed a bill that doesn't provide people with any health insurance. And it promises just one small check that still has not been received by one single American. I don't care how you look at it. This is a failure by our government. It's absolutely a failure from Donald Trump. Absolutely. But it's not just him. It's a failure from Democrats in Congress who have a super majority that we fought hard for in the House. And they voted for a horrible bill that failed to even begin to grasp the size and scope of the problems that Americans are facing right now. That bill, as you may have heard, had a non-binding oversight provision that was supposed to mean that Trump couldn't just say where trillions of dollars go, but he fired the person who was supposed to give the oversight and is going to run it from the White House. Listen, this isn't even, you know, people use this analogy saying 
uh, Democrats are playing chess and Republicans are playing checkers. Now, this isn't even close to chess versus checkers. Democrats are playing checkers and Trump keeps coming to the table with blow torches and rocket launchers. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here we are over a month into the worst of this pandemic with at least 10,000 people dead already and not a single American has received anything yet. Even all the talk that we heard about treatment for the coronavirus being covered, it's just talk. People are getting bills in the mail for it. For years, this would be the place where I would say something like, the United States is the only developed nation in the world to send people bills for their health emergencies. But I'm growing to think that we aren't a developed country. We're woefully underdeveloped. Our healthcare system is clearly underdeveloped. Politicians from both parties have allowed insurance companies and executives to raid it for billions and billions of dollars in profit. Our emergency preparedness system is clearly underdeveloped. Doctors and nurses can't even get the basic protective gear that they need. Our social safety net is clearly missing and is underdeveloped. Countries all over the world, nations that were also hit very hard by the pandemic, nations that we like to see as our peers, have provided more income to their citizens to replace what's lost, and they did it faster. Our jails and prisons, which have more people in them than any country in the world, now have the highest rates of infection of any single hotspots on planet Earth. And as we beg the Democratic and Republican mayors and governors and attorney generals to intervene, they mostly drag their feet and offer up lies about what they can't do. In the meantime, the staff in these jails and prisons keep infecting incarcerated people who infect each other, who infect more staff, who go out and infect their families and their communities and workers in grocery stores. Our police state, which knows only one gear, which is arrest, 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 is now in complete crisis as police departments are now completely overwhelmed by the coronavirus. Tens of thousands of police officers across the country now have the coronavirus. The NYPD alone is completely overrun by it. Nearly 20% of the police force is now calling out of work on a daily basis. And listen, I know everybody has a hard job, but you learn who's who in a crisis like this. Our government is failing us, and it's not because it has to be this way. It doesn't. We have options. We are where we are right now because our nation has a history of making bad choices. If you've been listening to The Breakdown, then you've heard me talk about the state of emergency at Rikers Correctional Facility here in New York. You all emailed and tweeted at Bill de Blasio and Governor Andrew Cuomo. And alongside organizers all over the city and state, we saw at least a small victory back on March 27th when Governor Cuomo said 
he would agree to set forward the release of 1,100 people who were incarcerated for technical violations of parole. But it's not enough. That's a tiny sliver of the people that need to be released. The New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision released numbers yesterday saying that hundreds and hundreds of incarcerated and paroled people and employees within the system have tested positive for the coronavirus. And those are just the people who've been tested. So we know the real number is much, much higher. Rikers just saw its first coronavirus-related death, and the man whose name is Michael Tyson was locked up for a basic parole violation. It wasn't even for a crime. New York still has not announced a plan to release seniors or release high-risk patients. There are people, I, I just never knew this, who are in their 90s at Rikers right now. I'm talking about their age. They still haven't released a real plan to, to give release dates for these people. Damn, arrests are still being made all over New York for random, nonviolent crimes and violations And just as people are released from Rikers, they fill it right back up. The NYPD and other first responders are seeing fast rises in their own infection rates. The NYPD reported five times higher than normal numbers of sick staff, with a record setting 15% plus of the force unavailable due to illness. And some are saying the number is now almost as high as 30%. Public health experts agreed that The preemptive move was to stop arresting so many people, stop detaining or incarcerating people for offenses that pose low risk to public safety. And they warned city officials that doing so would accelerate the pandemic. But none of this has happened. Rikers and jails all over the country are now pandemic incubators, a place where kids get put there for smoking a joint in public and then return to their home, sentencing their entire family to the coronavirus. I've talked to you about conditions in jails and prisons for the past year, but I need to explain something to you. Let me break it down. Break it down. Today, I want to break down a hidden reality about the underlying way our prison systems work. I want to talk to you about something called jail churn. Now, the numbers you hear about people that are incarcerated in this country are really misleading. Yes, at any given time, there are nearly a million people in jails across the country. There are over a million people who are in prison on any given day. But to really understand just how bad the public health crisis is, you need to understand the flow of people particularly through our jails, often for low-level arrest. People are incarcerated in America's jails more than 11 million times a year. No other country comes close. That's jail churn, where people come in and out, in and out, in and out. And jails and prisons have always been petri dishes for viruses and other infections. That's 11 million times that either a person in the community is put into a closed space together where social distancing is impossible, where hand sanitizer is banned, and things like soap and water and access to running water are often completely unavailable. And of course, 
where new unscreened people are in a constant state of coming in and out, in and out, in very close proximity to one another. And there's very poor, almost universally poor, medical care and health care in all of these facilities. Right now, at this moment, the infection rate, the coronavirus infection rate at Rikers is 700% more than the already horrifying New York City infection rate. It's nothing short of mass murder, even without jail churn. But now that we know that Rikers is this hot spot of the coronavirus where hundreds of staff members and hundreds of incarcerated people have it and they keep sending people in and out, in and out, that jail churn is dangerous for all of it, for all of us rather. And in a brilliant new report written by the noted author of the book Locked In, uh, Fordham Law School professor John Pfaff, in collaboration with Data for Progress, Professor Pfaff spells out the problem so very clearly. He says, jails take people from vulnerable communities. They can find them in tight quarters and then quickly return them to those same communities where they spread the illness they contracted there. He goes on to say, for a disease such as the coronavirus, this is a particular, particularly dangerous and lethal set of conditions. So what Professor Pfaff is saying is that with jail churn, a person might be arrested for something tiny. They are then placed in the highest risk space for infection in the country, in the world, just long enough to get infected. But then, because their offense was tiny, they are often then immediately recirculated back into the community. That happens about a million times a month in this country. Over and over again, one million times in, one million times out, one million times in, one million times out. And let's be real. Nobody really thinks that people need to be in jail for two to three days. It's just the bureaucracy of the system. It takes that long just to process people through for these tiny little violations. And we have to shut that down. No police department in the nation should be making arrests right now unless they're absolutely necessary. No sheriff should stand for it. No mayor or city council should allow it. Low-level arrests are a vector for disease that is unmatched by almost anything else in our country. And jail churn, and I need you to get that term down, jail churn makes it almost impossible for the coronavirus to be contained either inside or outside of a local jail. The virus can be brought to jails by infected staff, or incarcerated people, and they come in and out, in and out. Once inside, it then quickly spreads around the jail before being taken once again, either by the staff or by people who are being released back to the surrounding communities, in and out. Given that the United States has more than 2,800 county jails, this is a public health nightmare. And it's not just Rikers. There are over 150 confirmed cases at Cook County Jail in Chicago. Listen, I'm going to be giving you all some action steps over the next few days on what we can do to help keep pressing officials to release folk from prison who really shouldn't be there. And what I need you to understand again and again and again, we need to be doing this advocacy, yes, for incarcerated people, but you need to be doing it for yourself. 
We're going to pressure the NYPD to cease unnecessary arrest, and we're going to be encouraging you to do the same thing in your own city. But for now, I just want you to get that term down, jail churn. It's just in and out every month over 11 million times a year. And even before coronavirus, jail churn was one of the fundamental problems in our legal system. And right now, it's joining forces with the horrible conditions in prisons to make these prison systems the deadliest of all the corrupt systems in our country. Listen, I've got to run. I've got a quick interview that I've got to do, but I appreciate you. Thank you, of course, so much to our entire staff. Thank you to the Justice Collaborative for their support on this episode and many of our episodes about the coronavirus. Thank you, of course, to our senior producer, Willis, to our podcast director, Lissandra, and our entire team. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Break the 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 break the